0: That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.
1: Now we look at 2022. I want to tell my Republican friends, get ready, pal. You're going in for a problem. And we need to stay unified.
0: Republicans seek to take control of the House of Representatives.
1: Republicans are going to retake both the House and Senate.
2: A liberal MSNBC host warning Democrats about the
1: potential
0: for a red wave. Do we have any sort of canary in the coal mine type indications of where we may be headed on that front? Fox News is calling the Virginia governor's race for Republican Glenn Youngkin. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve
2: Welcome back to the Ruthless Variety Program, where we're all g- g- gunning for a problem. <laughs> Already, about gunning for. a
3: are gonna
4: gunning for a problem. G- for a problem. He's,
3: he sounds like the drunk at the end of the bar trying to pick a fight with you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. you know.
4: I mean, it's 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 incredible that like we had all these articles and and uh, folks on journalists on Twitter who were like. We need to consider President Trump's mental condition. Does he have <laughs> Alzheimer's? Is he stable? Meanwhile, this guy, I mean, he can't put a sentence together. It's <laughs> they will say anything. They'll my, be like, oh, that's stuttering. That's Come on, buddy. My, that's not stuttering. My,
3: Let's be real. My favorite part of the whole thing is he's so bad at delivering the applause line that the audience has no idea when <laughs> yeah. to start clapping.
2: Yeah. <laughs> They're like, what the hell just happened? It's so, a unique issue with both he and Kamala. Right. They both have this remarkable, for public figures, they both have this remarkable sense of uncomedic timing.
4: Right. And and, and the, the slight difference is, you know, in Biden's case, they don't know whether to clap or, or do we call a physician. Are we looking for a doctor <laughs> in the house?
2: <laughs> oh, my friends. Well, we have a, a terrific program today. You'll recall on Tuesday's episode... We wanted to talk a lot about what happened in the Midwest over the weekend, particularly Tennessee, Kentucky, uh, the tornadoes that just absolutely devastated the place. We talked about our willingness to send uh, some messages here in terms of what charities are worth pursuing. We also wanted to welcome a guest. We brought Scott Jennings on today, which we'll get to in just a minute. Uh, Scott, for those of you who don't know him, he's an old friend. Uh, He's been involved in politics for a long time, worked in the Bush White House, ultimately uh, in in a ton of different political capacities. Now a commentator, You, you might see him on cable news, but he happens to have been from Dawson Springs, Kentucky, where that's one of the towns that has been completely wiped off the map. And He's a really, really good guy, uh, and we'll have him back at some point where we can have some laughs. This was not one of those times, but we wanted an update from the ground to actually understand what we're looking at here, and uh, so we'll get to that in a minute. But but before we do, Ashbrook, I know that we've been scouting around quite a bit for some potential charities. Scott mentioned some in his interview that you should pay attention to. Here's a couple that came to mind from our from – our, Research.
5: Yeah, well, one of the things you'll hear Scott talk about is there's this Courier Journal article that just lists a bunch of charities, and, um, you know, we have not vetted every single one of them, but, you know, suffice it to say that everybody in Kentucky is pulling together to make sure that all the resources that folks send in uh, go go to the people who are most in need. There's one that we've heard about that's locally operated. Um, It's the Mayfield Graves County Tornado Relief Fund, and this is. This is has been put together by some of the people who have been hit the most, and who know uh, who know people um, who have been really devastated by this tornado. Everybody's familiar with Mayfield; it's now the famous town for um, you know visions uh, of destruction across the internet that that you've all seen. So that's one.
2: So so is that, and that's one that we found that is backed by the local officials. It's also. Every dollar goes in, goes right to the ground, right to helping as much as possible. One of the things that we've talked about and Scott mentions is that people who are sending supplies, it's difficult because there's no housing to actually store the supplies, right? So at this point, money or work is kind of the only options until they get out of this immediate problem that they're in. And it is an immediate problem. I can't wait for you to hear this interview. Is that? Do you have a website or something that we can look at for this? So they, this, this, you
5: know, they, like a lot of these local charities and a lot of these um, people who are dealing with this destruction, they, they they're just standing up anything they can. So there, there's literally a PO box where you send a check. Um, We'll
4: post it on the Twitter. And yeah, DM us for any information that you, you might want. I I mean, that, that interview, I mean, I was like at a loss of words from, from the things he was saying of you saw the images of how these houses are flattened and and you have to consider, you know, they get supplies sent. They don't have bags to even carry it. Like, and, and, and this is happening in the midst of a supply chain disaster on top of this disaster. So it's like, how can you rebuild if, 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 you know,
2: if lumber lumber costs costs too much and you can't get it anyway, right? Which is part of the problem. Exactly.
5: Think about, think about getting a, an insurance check for a hundred thousand dollars to rebuild a, on a project that actually cost $200,000 in lumber to put together. It just, it's mind boggling what these people are.
2: Yeah. These are not, these are not wealthy people. When, when the Biden administration talks about all of the, the high class problems that you get with inflation and and supply chain issues. um, This is the other side of that story. There's nobody here that is in the high class category. Everybody's in desperate need and has a, a very difficult time getting the supplies that they, that they need.
3: Well, great. I I think we should just get right to that interview.
2: All right. I want to welcome to the program a good friend, um, someone we've known for a lot of years, a native Kentuckian Dawson Springs, which you've heard a lot about in the news here in the last couple of days. Uh, You have probably recognized his voice from countless media opportunities as a contributor at CNN. Uh, Scott Jennings, how are you?
1: Hey, Josh. Good to be with you, man. Thanks for having me on.
2: Listen, I, I can't thank you enough for joining us. I know it's a, uh, a really tough time down in Kentucky, and particularly with uh, where you grew up and your friends and family down there. How's everybody doing?
1: Well, my family's uh, doing okay. Thanks for asking. My dad uh, had the good sense on Friday night to get out of his house. He doesn't have a basement. He went across town and rode it out uh, in a friend's basement. But we certainly – have a lot of friends who are suffering uh pretty badly today a guy I graduated from high school with lost his mom and his aunt um uh you know there were three or four people i think within you know 500 feet of really where my dad lives that died in their homes or were thrown from their homes um so the the the, uh the losses fell In in a town like dawson springs you know population 25 2600 I mean, truly, if one person dies, you know everybody knows about it. Now we're talking about 17 at the moment, plus several more still missing. So uh, I think the losses are going to be felt all over the community and virtually every family.
2: Now you and your dad wrote a, a beautiful piece on CNN.com today, and they, I think gave a perfect light to the town that you grew up in and the kind of people that live there, a little bit of the historical context. How about just giving us a little flavor of some of that?
1: Sure. Thanks uh, for, for mentioning it. Yeah, I, I wanted to write something because, you know, Dawson Springs is a, is like a lot of uh, small towns in middle America. You know, you don't hear about them unless something bad happens or somebody famous, you know, comes from them. Uh, but it certainly deserves to have a story told. You know, it's got a lot of history. Man, um, you know, early in the 20th century was a, was a health resort. People thought the mineral water there uh, would heal you, and then it became a coal mining town, and that sustained it for much of the, the 20th century after the health resorts faded, uh, but as coal uh, industry jobs went away, you know, it, like a lot of towns in, in our area, Josh, uh, never has really quite figured out what to do next, so it's a struggling town, uh, but it's a close-knit town, And it's a good town. It's full of good people. They're loyal to their town. They're loyal to each other. They're faithful. Uh, They believe in the values uh, of of small-town middle America. And, you know, my dad grew up there. He was born in 1958, uh, graduated from high school in 1976. I was born in 1977, grew up there, went to school there, uh, and obviously still have family in the area. So it's a town, Josh, that I think, you know, tends to pass down, uh, the pride of being from Dawson Springs from one generation to the next, even as people move away, like I did, I live just outside of Louisville, but I still consider myself to be, you know, from Dawson Springs. And I, I think that's true for a lot of folks who've, who've come from there. So this, this tornado that's hit has, has touched us all because of how proud we are to be from a place like, like this. And, uh, and I've heard from so many people from across the country who've grown up there went to school there. People I went to school with who were just, uh, heartbroken about what they're seeing on their TV screens.
2: Yeah, no question about it. Scott, if you wouldn't mind just giving us a little flavor for the scope of this storm. Um, you know, we we see on the news the, you know, 200 plus miles from Tennessee all the way through Kentucky and the the damage that it's done. That you know, the interesting thing for some of us who have come from the Midwest and have experienced with tornadoes, Um, you know, it's not uncommon that you have a terrible, terrible, deadly tornado that takes out, you know, a portion of a town. I think what's so significant about this, it was almost like an on land hurricane that just absolutely devastated everything in its wake. Right. I mean, this is, you're talking about, you know, generally speaking with a tornado, you know, one side of the street is gone. No, no, like the whole, everything is gone.
1: Well, in the case of Dawson Springs, uh, the mayor has estimated 75% of the houses are destroyed.
2: That's, um, and I,
1: I mean, so in a town of, of 25, 600 people, you, you can imagine, you know, what that looks like. Um, when I went there, uh, and I visited Mayfield as well. And I, I can talk about that. But when I went there, it, it didn't even feel like a weather event had occurred. It felt like a bomb went off yeah. because, you know, houses, looked like they had been exploded. Uh, trees looked like they had exploded. It, it didn't feel like a weather event. It, it felt like, you know, what you'd see in any, you know, World War II documentary, of, uh, you know, London, Berlin, places that suffered massive bombing. That, that's what it looked like. When I got there, my dad had called me and said, I just want you to prepare yourself for what you're going to see. Cause you just don't understand. And he was right. When I pulled into town, and pulled up Oak Heights, which was the street that my dad lived on and that I grew up on and my grandparents lived on, uh, I wasn't prepared for it. It didn't even look like the same place. The landscape had been transformed. When you take all the poles and trees and structures off of a place, I mean, it, it totally disorients you. It doesn't look anything like what you remember. Mm-hmm. And uh, and walking around uh, you know town and walking around that street and just, just kind of trying to get a feel for it, the amount of debris and rubble and bricks and stuff, you know, from people's houses and cars. I saw cars, Josh, literally stacked on top of each other. I mean, how does, how does that happen? I mean, the force required to do that. And so um, to give you, to give you a sense of it is hard to do uh, just in description because uh, I'll never be able to do it justice. You know, there's been a lot of video, but even just looking at the video, it's hard to get the scope of it. If you go up to a tall hill in Dawson Springs and it's, it's devastation as far as you can see, you know, you don't ever look, look around and say, well, over there looks okay. I mean, everything is just destroyed uh, in the part of town where the, where the tornado came through in downtown Mayfield, same situation. I mean, you've got buildings that have been there for 80, 90, hundred plus years uh, that are just piles of, of concrete and brick and rubble. The County courthouse, you know was devastated wow. a beautiful building with a big steeple on top if you by the way if you if you're a political uh, uh, junkie like we are if, if you if you've ever heard of fancy farm yeah which is one of the most famous you know political picnics uh, of the you know the American political calendar every year if you have ever thought about fancy farm read about it or been to it you went through Mayfield you may not have realized it but you drove through Mayfield and and so you know for many of us in politics you know that that graves county courthouse and all those buildings in downtown Mayfield uh, are so familiar. I mean, just totally wiped out. And again, it didn't feel like weather. It felt like these buildings had been bombed and, uh, and, uh, and, and it was so, so disorienting. I was talking to some Mayfield residents and they were saying, well, we came down here to look around, but we got lost. I mean, people yes. who live there their whole lives were having trouble orienting themselves because of the destruction. Man. Uh, and, and so just the buildings, the trees, um, the vehicles, but then you start to look on the ground and you see, you know, pictures of people and you see receipts, you know, you see medicine bottles and broken dishes and, and, uh, things that, you know, tornadoes sort of rip a hole into people's lives. It puts all of our business out there, right? A tornado, you know, rips open our homes. It throws all of our stuff up in the air and we see where it lands. I'm actually talking to you from just outside of Louisville where my home is. My sons have been walking around our neighborhood. They have found uh, a picture, uh, a, uh, and a sonogram that clearly landed here in the debris storm. You know, oh, the debris man. is flying all over hundreds of miles. And so we've put it up on a Facebook group of trying to return it to its owner. That's happening all over people, hundreds of miles away are finding people's pictures and stuff. So oh, it's, I, I've uh, read that like, uh it, it, it's hard to, it's hard to describe it and do it justice. But you know, that, that's, that, that's the best I can tell you is if you've been through a war zone, it's comparable.
4: I'd read, uh, an article that said that folks in Indiana 130 miles away, we're finding photographs from, from people's homes in Kentucky. So, I mean, it's, it's impossible to fathom the destruction. Um, what has the response been like in helping these folks? Because when you're saying like 75% have lost their homes, that's 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 a, that's a humongous disaster.
1: Yeah, it's a great question about the response. And, and people have been extremely generous. I know the state of Kentucky's fund has raised, I think at this point, over $10 million. Other funds and charities that have been set up and are working have raised... A lot of money, a lot of stuff has been sent. I actually heard today that uh, some of the stuff was starting to become overwhelming because, you know, people without houses don't have anywhere to put it. Uh, I had heard that there was a a lack of bags because people were were needing to take things, but they didn't have anything to carry it in. So, you know, there's little logistical issues like that were, I think, difficult. The real question about these towns, a Dawson Springs, a Bremen, a Central City, a, a Mayfield, some of these small towns that got hit, is... Housing, you know, I assume at some point FEMA trailers show up for some people, but, you know, that's not really a long term solution. And if you look at the the broad scope of the devastation and then you look at the American economic situation, I mean, even if you just said, hey, I want to put an addition on my house right now, how long would it take you to get the lumber, the glass, the supplies and the labor to do that? Now you're talking about rebuilding three quarters of a town or an entire downtown I, I, I worry that we'll never get enough material and stuff here to do that and at least not get it in a timely fashion or get it you know at a I mean it would at a price that anyone could afford to do I know what my dad's gonna get from insurance on his house there's no way he could rebuild his house mm-hmm. for the check he's gonna get and uh, and given the, the environment we're in so I, I really think the long-term sort of housing and economic implications of how how anyone would even go about rebuilding, have really we haven't even started to discuss that yet but but in the weeks ahead, I'm sure we will.
2: Yeah well I look I, I know that the state has set up a, a, a site. We're going to mention a couple of charities. Um, is there anything you have in mind uh, Jennings that that might be of particular help that some of our our listeners can can donate to?
1: Well, I know that, uh, like you said, the state's got a fund. And if you go to uh, Google and just type in Western Kentucky tornado relief um, on the Courier Journal, uh, that's the newspaper in Louisville, the the website, they have a list of charities. It's pretty broad. And so it's everything from the state fund to some, uh, I think, the Red Cross and other relief funds that have been set up. So what I would recommend is you you find that and pick one that, that appeals to you. There are some churches in West Kentucky. That are uh, uh, doing relief efforts, and some of that is stuff, and some of it is money, and so those are those are easy to find as well. Candidly, I'm a I'm a big proponent of blood donations. I keep hearing the Red Cross say we have critical blood drive shortage issues, and so it, where and, and I and I've been told by the Red Cross directly that wherever you are, if you go and give blood, it, it may make its way to Kentucky and the, the rest of the tornado area. So. If you're listening to this in some far flung place, uh, giving blood uh, may be one of the best things you can do. So th- those are some immediate thoughts, but I will say, Josh, what I I think in these emergencies, people think about it. We're horrified by it. The media shows up. Joe Biden is in Dawson Springs and Mayfield today. But then you know something else is going to happen, and and other you know the world events will overtake our, our thoughts, and and uh, and a lot of times we forget about these places. So I, if if I had one plea for people who want to do something for these towns. It's just don't forget them. Mm. Uh, We're thinking about them today, but I'm telling you in six months, there will still be homeless people there. In a year, there will still be people who don't have permanent housing. In two years, there'll still be kids whose lives were shattered. So uh, the best thing you can do is find a good charity, donate blood and don't forget.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and if you're in the area, anywhere near the area, I know people need a lot of help trying to clear debris, right? I mean, that's the the other thing that we're dealing with, there's still a loss of life out there that we're not fully coming to grips with in a lot of different places. There's there's still an enormous mess that, that needs to be taken care of no matter what before we start to rebuild. And so, look, even if you have no carpentry or, or or technical skill, any help that you can give, I think, would be well taken.
1: My dad told me today that there have been some guys and crews kind of roaming around with chainsaws in, in on his street. Uh, and uh, helping kind of clear out some of the debris, but tell you it's just clearable by, you know, regular people. Like in my dad's case, you know, his house is destroyed. There's still some of it standing. I mean, it's going to have to be knocked down by a professional crew. So there's, I think there's really two parts of this debris issue. There's what can be done by, regular folks, and then there's and there's what's going to have to happen eventually, which is a lot of these houses and piles of rubble that used to be houses, they're going to have to bring in equipment and, and professionals to do this. I also assume there's going to be a hazardous materials issue. My, my assumption is FEMA and the government's going to have to show up and say uh, we're going to have to set up massive dump sites. I mean, you think about three quarters of the houses in a town being destroyed. It's not like you can just throw it in the garbage can and wheel it to the end of the driveway. I mean, th- there's going to have to be some massive dumping site set up to get all of that material in it sorted uh, and then disposed of in some proper fashion. I have heard frankly, from a lot of individuals that, that, you know, look, we can clean up some of this, but what are we supposed to do with the, the stuff we can't handle? And, and I don't think there's been a lot of answers on that yet. I hope those answers are forthcoming. It's, you know, something my dad's been talking about a lot is, is he's worried about, you know, his property You know, I'm, I'm worried about not doing this in a timely fashion. I want to make sure I get this cleaned up and I think a lot of folks are, are in that same boat, but that is a, and this is one of those that are out trying to do the best they can, but there's some stuff that regular folks just aren't going to be able to handle.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No question about it. Listen, Scott um, keep us updated, man, because we're going to stay on this. We will keep talking about it. Nobody's going to forget this. I mean, anybody who's been to, to West Kentucky knows that this is, this is, these are good people and they're not people who are going to be on TV for the next six months reminding people of their plight right um so it's up to us to to remember what's happened here and and help people through it so i can't thank you enough for giving us your your firsthand view of everything that's happening and then come back will you because we want to we want to know how this is coming along and and also you know in a lighter time also want to get some jokes scott's one of the funniest people that you'll ever meet (laughs) Yeah. Uh, and and we can have a good time with a ride along sometime. And this is just not the occasion for that.
1: Well, thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. I appreciate uh, uh, you all shining a light on this, and uh, we'd we'll, we'll love to come back and uh, uh, you know and, and, uh, on a happier day and uh, share some uh, levity. And uh, appreciate you talking about West Kentucky. I, I think you're right about about what you said. These aren't people who are going to be you know out on TV constantly begging and and pleading. I mean, these are these are proud people, and they. They pride themselves on, on their work ethic, doing things themselves. And, and, uh, uh they are going to need our help though. And, uh, and, and you'll be bringing a lot of great attention to them. So I appreciate you doing that. Thanks. Thanks guys.
2: Thanks a bunch, Scott. Thank you. Really appreciate it. So, I mean, look, it's hard not to be totally moved by that. The, the picture I have in my head of the, of the sonogram laying on the ground a hundred miles away from where the tornado hit is just something I don't think I'll ever going to forget.
3: Right. You you see all the devastation and you see, you know, houses and main street flattened and you're like, all right, well, that's, you know, that's property. We can rebuild that. But what's inside that is like somebody's life. You know, it's their memories. It's where they are right now, you know, looking to rebuild, not just the physical structure, but like literally piecing their lives back together. A sonogram.
5: Yeah, one of the things that struck me about Scott's um, description is think about the people who've grown up in these towns. He talked about people in Mayfield who knew the town like the back of their hand, and they were walking around and got lost because yeah. Yeah. they they couldn't they couldn't figure out where they were. Everything everything's rubble,
2: zero man. landmarks, no street signs, nothing. It's just a, it's a flat piece of land with it's, with matchsticks it's on just, top of it.
5: It's just unbelievable to think of you know, a place that you would know so well in your memory that looks very, very different today.
2: So uh, another one that I wanted to give a shout-out to, Senator John Stevens, who's a state senator in Tennessee, represents the northwest part of Tennessee, just south of, of Mayfield. Uh, hit me up on Twitter. He's a listener of the program. Appreciate it, John. I hope you guys are, are doing all you can, and I know you are, uh, for the people of your of your particular district. But he said, please consider... TennesseeDisasterRelief.org. It's T N DisasterRelief.org. He says that they are on the ground now. They can also accept online contributions. That I know is a huge help as well. In addition to what John mentioned and, and the myriad of, of other charities that are operating, you know, officially through the government in, in Kentucky. So anything you can do, listen. I mean, for those of us who've, who've got presence under the tree. I think this is probably the biggest gift that you can give anybody because these people are really suffering right now. Yeah, and we'll put
3: it in the show notes of this episode with links to anywhere you can give online.
2: Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, uh, geez, it's a tough transition coming out of yeah. that. You know, I
4: mean, that interview. I'm telling you, I, 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 I was at a loss for words. It's unbelievable what what horrible tragedy those folks are going through. But
2: we got a we got we got soldier on. The show goes get the on. message out. The show goes on. We're going to endeavor to have a few laughs here in the process because I know there's a lot of people who need them. That's right. Um, the Build Back Brandon bill. Yes. Or Build Back Broke bill. Whatever you prefer. <laughs> they're both equally good to me. Has fallen upon on some hard times. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> so this week, there's you recall over the last several weeks, there's been an ongoing discussion with Democrats and Senator Manchin about this pile of garbage that they're trying to pass and Manchin's got a a variety of problems with it. It, it, He's pretty much spelled out that this is not going to happen before Christmas as Senator Schumer has said the majority leader of the Senate that they were going to do right. White House has now come out and said well the Christmas deadline wasn't a real deadline we'll just keep (laughs) working on it. The biggest piece of news happened yesterday when in a private meeting Amongst Senate Democrats, Senator Raphael Warnock spoke up, and he suggested that they basically shelf Build Back Brandon, and they start working again on this absolutely bonkers version of what they term as voters' rights.
4: Yeah, that's the thing. Is I mean, it tells you it tells you exactly what their aim is here. You know, they're like, oh well, we can't pass this insane left-wing agenda through the legislature so why don't we you know federalize elections and try to take control that way let's if, if they don't let us pass this bill you know we can say oh wow clearly the filibuster needs to be removed they get rid of the filibuster they pack the courts and they can get what they want without having to actually pass anything so i
2: think i think this is all sort of a cynical play yeah internally amongst democrats because they know that they've got a real problem with bill Better. Right? They know that they have this problem. They also know that they have this just sort of ridiculous, what Smug just said, visions of changing our electoral system that forever dominates by Democrat politics. They know that. The only way to get that done is to put pressure on Democrats to eliminate the filibuster. Q. Maisie Hirona. The filibuster.
3: It's broken. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that video and I just died. You know? I mean, she she might be the dumbest senator. No, she is. She is. She is. Um, but, like, that video was just next level. And I, I, I think it has to have a permanent place on the soundboard.
2: So it does. It does. Can I get it one more time? The filibuster.
3: It's... Broken. I mean, straight up, they're like, we can't explain
4: because it's not a reasonable position to take, or else we would have to explain this is a very cynical power grab. We just want to control everything. We want to pack the courts, so, right? Uh,
3: Macy Hirono, who used the
4: filibuster,
2: supported a filibuster of Gorsuch. That's right. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. All amongst, right. Yeah. Her. Amongst other things. Right. In a in a it, almost every judge. Right. Right. I mean, almost every nominee. Uh-huh. Almost every she would have filibustered everything under the sun. That happened under a Republican administration, but now the filibuster—it's <laughs> broken. It's incredible. They can't explain. It. It's, it's broken. I just don't. That's it's broken.
3: I, I think Wait, there's an I, additional. I think there's an additional layer to this, and and I see what you're saying, Smug. On, you know, they pivot to voting rights so that they can accomplish all this stuff through, you know, changing voting laws, getting rid of voter ID, or whatever, to try to accomplish what they want to accomplish. What I would suggest is that this pivot to voting rights isn't going to end up eliminating the filibuster. It isn't going to end up passing any of this nonsense, quote-unquote, voting rights that they want. What it is, is it's a cope for the fact that, like, I don't think Raphael Warnock wants to vote for Bill Back brandon No. I think there's probably four or five Democratic senators in that caucus who sit back and let Manchin and Cinema take the arrows on all of this. But real, reality is they don't actually want to vote for BBB. So so, so so they're going to pivot to voting rights and say this is the existential threat to our democracy. But really what it is is a rhetorical way
2: of doing nothing. It, yeah. it, it's a rhetorical way of doing everything you said is 100% accurate, and there's one addendum to it. There is no coalition that supports Democrats in any form or fashion unless they convince people that Republicans are inherently racist. They're inherently against allowing people to vote? Like yeah. this is why it's HRS one, right? Their first priority is to try to demonize people. So why was it why was it Raphael Warnock's idea? Why was it the guy who's in the home of the Georgia voting rights bill? Right. Why was it that guy that that had the idea? That you shift off of BBB <laughs> and you get on to voting. Why is that?
4: Yeah, when he's he's in cycle, running in Georgia. When mm. the, Look at the polling. We're, we're, we're seeing a, a red wave and he's like, I do not want to vote for this trillions and trillions of <laughs> right. dollars of left wing bonker spending. Yeah.
2: Unless I can convince people that everyone in the Republican Party is inherently extremely racist and mm. are trying to prevent you from voting and everything else. And therefore, creating this boogeyman that I can run my entire election upon happens to be one or two most vulnerable Senate Democrats up for re-election right. next year.
3: Yeah, but the problem with that, dude, is like Terry McAuliffe ran that playbook in Virginia. Yeah, but they don't
2: have another playbook. Right. <laughs> that's but, my point. It's,
3: it's like if, if Terry McAuliffe in a state like Virginia loses on that message, Raphael Warnock is toast.
2: But and, doesn't that tell you about the state of affairs? It is.
4: And, and that's the thing is like how are these people arguing in any sort of good faith or seriousness that okay we just won the house we just won the senate we just won the white house so uh elections are definitely you know, rigged <laughs> it, 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 it's unsafe we've got to make sure it's protected so so the way that they do this is uh racism okay it's, it's definitely racism 100 percent. like that's their only card to play Because they're like, oh, yes, elections are very unfair. We can't get our voters can't vote. That's why we have the House, the Senate and the White House. So I've got a
5: question for you guys. Eighteen months ago, Senator Tim Scott had a major police reform bill on the floor of the Senate. Did uh, did Maisie Hirono vote to filibuster that?
3: Oh, the filibuster it's broken.
5: It, It seemed it seemed to work just fine for her when she stuffed Senator Tim Scott's police reform bill.
2: Oh, that's, that's so weird. crazy. wasn't racist then. Was
3: she doing the racism?
2: Was she doing the racism? Yeah, yeah. I
4: mean, <laughs> oh my God, it's broken. I mean, like, it, the thing is, is that it's clear they know the public doesn't support this bill. Inflation keeps going up. Um, voters are not going to allow this kind of a left-wing agenda now. So they're just taking the cynical play and trying to take more power however they can.
2: Yeah, 100%. So Time's man of the year, fellas. We got an update. Yeah, we, we talked about this on Tuesday and we offered our own suggestions. Oh, by, by the way, really appreciated the shout out from uh, one of your nominees. Janice Dean. Janice Dean. Our and Me- and Megan Kelly. Yes. Where they were talking about the, how nice it was that we nominated. Well, listen, I she's well-deserved. Well-deserved. Seriously. Right. Well-deserving. Appreciated that. But Elon's been up to, I mean, he's trying to earn this thing.
3: Yeah, he is. And and when we discussed it on on Tuesday's program, we mentioned the fact that Elon's like Twitter game is like red hot, red hot. Yeah. Incredible stuff. He goes right in on all of his biggest critics. And here we've got an incredible dunk on Elizabeth Warren. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, December 13th, Elizabeth Warren
4: tweets out, let's change the rigged tax code. So the person of the year will actually pay taxes and stop freeloading off everyone else. And this gets from Elon like a legendary series of tweets in in reply. Um, He says, first, you remind me of when I was a kid. This is directly to Senator Warren. He says, you remind me of when I was a kid and my friend's angry mom would just randomly yell at everyone for no reason. (laughs) Then he follows up. Please don't call the manager on me, Senator Karen. And and then follows up again and says, and if you opened your eyes for two seconds, you would realize I will pay more taxes than any American in history this year. And then again, follows up with the, the best dunk of all. He says, don't spend it all at once oh wait you did already
2: <laughs> oh man it's like it's like a dunk line you know in the nba when they're like throwing right. it off the backboard right. to one another and then the final dunk is like the two-hand jam it's like
3: a boxing match and and like the ref has to come in and start waving his hands.
2: Yeah, he's down for the count <laughs> i mean it's it's only rivaled by the one he had uh on what's his name the senate finance chairman wyden yeah. What he's like, why does your profile picture look like you just basically came in your pants? <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, it was the most outrageous thing I've ever seen. And he even
4: got the Senator Sun on his side. It was, it was <laughs> incredible. So good.
2: From a CEO, right? You
4: got to love that. And, and speaking of, of real space, which Elon actually does send his crafts to, uh, here's some super cool news uh, about space. So NASA's had a craft touch the sun for the first time. It dove into the atmosphere. Uh, This is from the AP. It says, A NASA spacecraft has officially, quote, touched the sun, plunging through the unexplored solar atmosphere known as the corona. Uh, Launched in 2018, and thank you, President Trump, for that, Uh, Parker was 8 million miles uh, from the center of the sun when it first crossed the jagged, uneven boundary between the solar atmosphere and outgoing solar wind. The spacecraft dipped in and out of the corona at least three times, each a smooth transition, according to scientists. Man, I, I miss when we had a president who, who knew how to do Dude, I didn't even know that,
2: that was going on. How is that possible? Yeah. I Incredible. I mean, it's isn't that awesome stuff? We ought, to, we ought to, like, look, enough about the fake space trips. That's right. Let's get more on the real Why isn't that all splashed Seriously. over the news? That's amazing. Incredible. All right. So we got more on disinformation. Duncan, I know this is your thing, and um, you kind of told people so.
3: Oh, oh right. yeah, we did. You know, we had a, a, a couple of segments of this on The program, I mean, you might recall, um, you know, we talked about this with uh, Tara McGowan and Reid Hoffman um, as they were forming this sort of new um, outfit to to quote unquote combat misinformation. They're sort of institutionalizing it now in a way that's sort of scary. Um, The Aspen Institute's Commission on Information Disorder. (laughs) Incredible name. Uh, recently released a report that blamed misinformation for a range of social problems. Quote, Information disorder is a crisis that exacerbates all other crises. Information disorder makes any health crisis more deadly. It slows down our response time on climate change. It undermines democracy. It creates a culture in which racist, ethnic, and gender attacks are seen as solutions, not problems. It's just incredible to me. This is their
2: disinformation. Do you think perhaps... That kind of disinformation could contribute to a worldwide conspiracy theory that involves Russia winning the American election.
3: Yeah, yeah. All, all All of the biggest purveyors in America of misinformation are involved in now this project to combat misinformation. And under the guise of somehow making democracy better, their solution is just to basically suppress all dissent on the Internet.
2: I mean, that is it. That is it. That is. It's just a bottom line deal. Right. right. Unless you believe in all the left wing things that they're talking about, that's disinformation. Right.
4: And, and, and so this comes from this article that the New York Post had great read um, about they, they called it inside the hypocrisy of media manipulators. Censors who claim to fight misinformation, it says they have, uh, with $65 million in backing from investors such as George Soros and Reed Hoffman, the newly organized Project for Good Information. Good information, like, uh, my like, God. Like that sounds almost like Orwell, you oh, know, like, totally. this is the good information. Anyways, also vows to fight fake news wherever it roams. Um, and again, the name pops up. Who's running it?
3: Tara McGowan. Dude, you know who's on the board of this thing? Prince Harry. <sighs> Prince Harry, who's like, you know what? The First Amendment goes too far. No, you know, like oh, first of all, you're not an American. Yeah.
5: Okay. okay. I think we already settled
3: that. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I mean
5: Thanks, Prince Harry.
2: It's truly remarkable. I mean you gotta keep your eye on this. We don't want to spend all day on it. Right. But you gotta keep your eye on it because there's a tons of stuff that's
4: happening. The the last thing I wanted to touch on from this article which really shows you what the end game and the purpose of this is. It says uh, the Shorenstein center at Harvard university has been hosting a series of meetings with major media executives to quote, help newsroom leaders fight misinformation and media manipulation. Think
2: about how dangerous that is. Just the statement that you just made. Yeah. These people that we have described over like three or four different episodes that are entirely funded by left-wing interests that describe any information that doesn't ascribe to a left-wing bias as disinformation are now reaching out with access... To media people.
4: And this is and this is what they did with it. It says, the Shorenstein Center claimed that the Hunter Biden story offered, quote, an instructive case study on the power of social media and news organizations to mitigate media manipulation campaigns. Oh, my so God. In other yes. words, the suppression of information deemed by, quote, experts to be misinformation was precisely the kind of good information objective we should be pursuing. The oh. research director of his center, uh, Joan Donovan, told The Times that the Hunter Biden case study was, quote, designed to cause conversation. It's not supposed to leave you
3: resolved as a leader, as a reader. (laughs) Like they're worried about feelings, not facts. It's amazing. Holy. Right. And all of this is hand in glove with what the Biden administration wants to do, what our government wants to do. So don't think that these are just a bunch of, uh, you know, liberals with some billionaires money that want to have a make work job and and get grant grants funded. Um, They have power at the highest levels of our government and our culture and so we just can't ignore it and we got to keep
2: talking well, about it. Well, do you, listen, do yourself a favor and if you haven't heard of it, google the Asman Institute. Google the people that show up at this at this outfit. You can understand how pervasive this kind of thing is if it has infiltrated all the people who attend this kind of thing. Right. I mean, it's it's a real problem. We got to keep an eye on. We're going to keep talking about it. But, you know, listen, speaking of the disinformation. We've talked a lot about Not for a little bit, but we've talked a lot about sort of corporate wokeness, Mm -hmm. right? And amongst the worst offenders of corporate wokeness have been the professional sports organizations. Yeah. Yeah. We saw with the MLB in Georgia, for example. MLB in Georgia. NBA is just pervasive with it. The NFL kind of keeps a little bit of a low key, lower key until they started. I don't know if it's actually that low key now. It seems pretty. Let me just caveat it with this. I love the NFL's product. But what they try to do from a corporate standpoint is truly remarkable. It's ridiculous. So the NFL's Inspire Change program funds groups that want to abolish police, prisons, immigration, and detention. Immigration detention, I should say. Not two separate things. They want to abolish immigration detention. Yeah. They have funded, and I know you looked at, at this, Duncan. They have funded a number of groups that have been up to unbelievably bad things.
3: Yeah, this Community Justice Exchange, which, you know, also runs the National Bail Fund Network, whose chapter includes the Minnesota Freedom Fund. And if that sounds familiar to you, that is the uh, the organization that Kamala Harris promoted that let people accused of violent crimes, um, violent assaults during all of the
2: riots up in Minnesota out of jail where they reoffended. Reoffended. And that is a documented fact. Fact. That this is not like a hypothetical. This is not about like, well, what happens if you let an offender back on the street? Well, we know. Because the Minnesota Freedom Fund did it. And there were people who were killed as a result.
3: Yeah, Hollywood supported this. Kamala Harris supported this. And now the NFL is supporting this. Yeah. Which is just incredible. And I agree with you, Holmes. It's like, I love the product. I love watching the NFL. Yeah. They have no idea. Um, how to actually market to the people who consume their their content? No, and it, it it's like you the corporate NFL policy is completely disconnected to the viewership of their product. I don't understand
5: it. I think it's a testament to the strength of the product that people just sort of blow past the political bullshit
2: and watch the game. Yeah, it's like Bruce Springsteen, right? I mean, you can't listen to a word he says it without making you completely pissed off. But the guy sings a damn good song. Exactly. I know, you know? I know, and it's a little, it's a little bit like it leaves you, know, you conflicted, though. It does leave you conflicted, and it. What makes me most mad about the NFL is that it almost takes the fans for granted. Yeah, and like I'm the last one in the world that would advocate for like not watching the NFL. I know there's a lot of people who've taken that step, but I love the NFL and I'll watch the NFL. But it makes me incredibly angry. That they take the fans for granted, and instead, they they, be, they cater to this niche, like ten percent or less of the population, with these bizarre progressive beliefs about what they ought to be doing as a corporation, and then they just double down on it. it's like it's it's almost like they feel like they're paying protection money.
3: Right, they're playing. They're paying protection money. You know, through, uh, you know, the people who will write about this bullshit, right? And so you got somebody at a PR office who's like, you have to change your entire marketing strategy so I can go pitch this story to some left-wing lunatic who lives in Brooklyn who's going to write an article, and that's deliverable for me. Yeah. You know, and then the people without a voice, like the fans and stuff, well, they're just going to be there to watch the game. Yeah. And so, and so, you know, their opinion, because they don't have a megaphone, doesn't matter. What's more important is the person who lives in Bedsty who might write an article about how woke we are. <laughs> <laughs> that's
4: funny.
5: Yeah, I haven't seen a whole lot of stories about CTE lately, so maybe <laughs> that maybe, that's
2: it. It, yeah. maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. Alright, we did, we had well, some well, animals.
4: Well, yeah, so uh, this is some very important update. Very important update. Folks might remember, it was a meme a few years ago. Um, the whole feral hogs phenomenon where, where a guy was like, oh, you know, what can I do to stop like 40 to 50 feral hogs? You know, <laughs> coming in my yard and possibly attacking my kids. And everyone's like, Oh man, this is an insane thing to say, but like little do they know it's actually a massive problem in Texas. Um, well we got, we got a bit of an update. There are feral hogs. It says feral hogs take over Southeast Texas neighborhood and cause all sorts of problems in a short period of time. Dozens of feral hogs invaded a neighborhood in Ford Bend County and surveillance camera offers the proof. It didn't take long for the huge pack of feral hogs to do some serious damage <laughs> to the neighborhood. I mean, that is
2: wild. That's where you need smug in a helicopter. That's right. right? That's right. I mean, we don't want to be on the ground with the feral
4: hogs. No, no. We got to do our part. You know, I encourage folks get those helicopter trips, shoot some hogs, <laughs> shoot some hogs. Uh, help, help our countrymen.
2: Another update you recall in the program on two occasions we've addressed the fact that the zebras in Maryland were escaped zebras. Yeah. yeah they were on the loose yeah. and nobody could find them. Right. Right. All summer long they basically been on the loose.
3: You'd think they would stand out like a sore thumb, but apparently not.
2: Apparently not. Well, now the zebras have been captured. According to the Washington Post, neither the USDA or Prince George's County Animal Services were involved in the capture. They said that they were notified Monday that the zebras had been recovered and returned to their herd last week. Remember they were doing all kinds of things like throwing out more zebras?
4: Yeah, they were trying like everything. Everything.
2: They tried to bear trap some zebras.
4: And I still am confident that they should have just sent out lines, like, put out a warning, everyone get in your houses for an hour, we're going to let the lion solve the problem. And then you just have to deal
3: with one line instead of all these zebras. Sorry, when you have a rat problem, what do you do? You get some cats. That's right. That's right. So, um,
2: Foldy's been up to some good.
3: The, yeah, so this is a, a
4: great article. You know, shout out young Matthew Foldy. This is, this is an unbelievable story, but it's great and it needs to get attention. Uh, the Commerce Secretary's husband is a top executive... At a tech firm funded by the Chinese government, this is this is wild. So Gina Raimondo has a major financial stake in an AI firm funded by a Chinese venture capital firm. Uh, the the firm is backed. Uh, what is it? Danhua Capital, uh, based in California, but established with the financial backing of the Chinese Communist Party, is one of the main funders of this company, Path AI, an artificial intelligence firm that employs Raimondo's husband, Andy Moffat. Um, it says. Uh, it, it goes on. It says that. As Commerce Secretary, Raimondo is tasked with managing the U.S. business relationships with countries across the globe, and she's emerged as one of the most pro-China voices in the administration. Oh, oh weird. how that works. In a September Wall Street Journal interview, Raimondo said the United States should strengthen economic ties with China, arguing, quote, robust commercial engagement with China would mitigate any potential tensions with the global <laughs> rival, and and not to mention help her investment. Um, but it says the Wall Street Journal reported on Friday that Raimondo's agency was pushing back on efforts by others in the Biden administration to block Chinese technology firms from working with American companies. Commerce officials are arguing internally, according to the report, that the administration's tougher approach to China would hurt U.S. companies. And it says uh, – can I, can, I can I stop you there and ask you a question? Sure. Is it, is it true that
5: they have given a lifeline to Huawei?
4: That, that, that is true. So, so uh, th- th- it describes here that Raimondo's Commerce Department has also provided a lifeline to Huawei, a company closely tied to China's brutal repression of its Muslim Uyghur population. In August, the Commerce Department approved license applications for Huawei to buy hundreds of millions of dollars worth of chips for its growing interest in the automobile industry.
2: Unbelievable.
4: Unbelievable. Effing, yeah. connect believable. the dots like Foley did. Good for him. Foldy. I mean, that's
2: unbelievable. Foley, we got to have him back on the program soon to talk about some of this stuff. He's always in the midst of all of it.
4: Yeah, he's he's covering those stories. No a real journo. Seriously, it's
2: unbelievable. Who'd <laughs> have thought? What a transformation. Um, fellas, should we play
3: a game? Let's play a game. Well, it's Thursday, so that means King of the Hill. <laughs> so so uh smug you have our returning champion right jen rubin that's right and uh holmes who are you bring to the table
2: you know I, I dug deep this week okay and i'm looking around and what everybody was on kind of one genre so i wanted to spread it out i wanted to get something different i had to go to maximum boot
3: wow yeah maximum boot is back yeah well let's go ringside Ladies
5: and gentlemen, your attention please. It's time for King of the Hill. In the blue corner, fighting out of his crooked fedora, maximum war now, war forever, booze! In the red corner, Fighting out of the Washington Post, our champion, covered in cat hair, Jennifer Berainworms Worms
3: Ruben. <laughs> so good. Just a lovely intro. It's just so good. So, Smug, uh, you have our champion, so you got to go first in round one here.
4: That's right. So uh, again, I wanted to use this opportunity with Jen Rubin to just show the she's like a renaissance woman of bad takes, uh, runs the whole gamut, name the subject, she's got a take on it, and it's a bad one. Um, I wanted to start strong. This is from 1026 AM on December 14th. Jennifer Rubin, I warned Iran hawks about their, quote, hope that renewed sanctions will lead to regime change in Tehran. Hope is not a viable Plan B. It is far more naive than anything contained in that, you know, Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action. That's her take. She warned Iran hawks: sanctions aren't the road to take. And for for you know shits and giggles, I googled Jen Rubin Iran. I put in a couple years. Yep. I found a great little article by Jen Rubin, July twenty first, twenty fifteen. She says the snapback track is one reason to nix the Iran deal. <laughs> yes. Speaking of snapback, like wow, her takes it goes left, it goes Snap right. It's like, uh, the, this article in, in the Washington Post that she has is is really wild. Basically, says that not only do we need sanctions, we got to go harder, we got to kill this deal. Lo and behold, here we are. She's like, I warned the Iran Hawks. <laughs> There's nothing we have to save this. Great deal. I warned. It
3: is it is a great thing, in particular with Jen Rubin, how dramatically her 180 has has come on on some of this stuff, you know. <laughs>
4: And she's like, talks about Iran Hawks.
3: Like, look in the mirror, like, you are like, an Iran
4: hawk. Like, holy moly. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, that's great. Okay. Oh. Okay. Holmes, what you got? I'm thinking about staying on genre. I wasn't planning this, but I think I, I, think I got one that's better. Okay. So, Boot comes from the same. Right, the same sort of thing. Cut from the same cloth. He was arguing, like you know, basically taking out Iran. These are hardcore neoconservatives. Yeah. It was like, they should have been part of the war on terror. Like we should have just taken them right out. Right. Right. His view today. Okay. There's a good reason why no Israeli or American leader, not even Bibi or Trump, has been willing to bomb Iran. Talk about that in a second. (laughs) War with Iran could be the mother of all quagmires. Letting Iran go nuclear if that proves unavoidable, may be the less dangerous option. (laughs) It's unbelievable.
3: That is fucking, in
2: and of itself, an absolutely
3: nuclear take. Bibi Netanyahu did a joint address to Congress saying, do not pass the Iran nuclear
2: deal. (laughs) Yes. He literally did that. Yes. 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 And Max Boot has spent a career arguing against a nuclear Iran. Right. Right. But now he says that not even Bibi or Trump has been willing to bomb Iran. Okay. Right. Let's just take that, first of all, disputable, right? Because nobody can prove what's been bombed or what's not. But Iran has suffered an amazing amount of setbacks in their <laughs> nuclear development over the last decade by mystery sources, <laughs> Things like Stuxnet. Yeah. Right. Think things like, mm, I don't know, power outages at the places where they enriched the uranium. Or, or like
3: General Soleimani being turned into dust.
2: <laughs> right. Like pretty much the worst take of all time in terms of historical accuracy. But then for this guy to say, letting them go nuclear is the less dangerous option? Right. Wow. That's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot. It's it's like, it's like, it's like saying you
3: know. Well, you know, I mean, I guess Biden does have to give Putin Ukraine. I've noticed he hasn't invaded Moscow yet. <laughs> you know,
2: it's like, oh, oh,
3: okay, that's a take.
2: It is an analog take. <laughs> <laughs> it is like basically Um,
3: Simone, can you read yours one more time?
4: Absolutely, uh, Jen Rubin. I warned Iran hawks about their, quote, hope that renewed sanctions will lead to regime change in Tehran. Hope is not a viable plan B. It is far more naive than anything contained in the JCPOA. And then, again, that's her article in The Washington Post, which which drops on December 14th. And then you have uh, her article, which was also in The Washington Post from 2015, saying that. Oh, yes. Sanctions. So sanctions hypocrisy. Exactly. is, is, Is the thrust of all of this. And now saying save the deal. Then saying right, kill the deal, kill
3: the deal, <laughs> go nuke. So so less dangerous. Well, see,
4: that's the thing. The
3: thing is, so it's, it's 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 the same argument, but you've got a sanctions hypocrisy argument versus. Well, I notice they're still on the map, so <laughs> it's okay that they go nuclear. Let them
2: go nuclear. It's less dangerous. It's
3: it's just it's that it's it's the Jen Rubin and then some. And for that reason, Holmes wins round one. Boot,
2: boot. But now you got to go first, pal. Well, I know, but see, the thing is, is I, I, I was, I'm, I was pleased to hear him lead with the Iran thing because I knew I had that hot button, but it needed kind of a hook to it. Yeah. Right. So we got it there. All right. I got another great one. This is Max Buddha 2:32 in the afternoon of December 10th. Actually, if I were chanting my inner Soviet Union. I would be spreading anti-vaccine conspiracy theories and pretending that everything is okay when it isn't. That is what Putin has been doing along with DeSantis Abbott and the rest of the GOP. <laughs>
4: <laughs> okay, okay. So here's the thing.
3: That's I- just so cool. It's just so cool that like we're, we're, we're like so far removed from Gate, and it's just, like He's the playbook, the it. playbook that they ran there, they're just like double down, run it again.
2: <laughs> okay, so I, I like word never reached him, right? <laughs>
4: I was honestly hoping for someone to bring up Russia because I've got to take that's just like layers, layers okay. of brainworm in here. Uh, this is Jen Rubin. She wrote an article on December fifteenth, saying opinion how Black leaders might sway Biden on voting rights. Right? This is for, in discussing that article. Here's her take on her own take. Biden's efforts to bolster democracy internationally will flop if he can't protect it at home. Election chaos and deleg- delegitimiz- delegitimization play right into the hands of Russia. If the administration fails on this, this is what's also a kicker. If the administration <laughs> fails on this, blackmail support for Democrats will continue. Wait, wait, wait what? Wait, what's wait, the last one? She says, this. I'm, I'm, I'm not wait, fudging this. This is her exact, exact writing. If the administration fails on this black male support for democrats will continue so i as the resident expert
2: in black male support and that like
4: if they fail on this then that'll keep black males voting democrat like this is beyond like a uh, uh just a misuse of internet it's just like the worms have now hit like the center of the brain where like all your basic functions take place she can no longer form like a cogent sentence doesn't know what she's trying to argue. Went from arguing about like black leaders swaying Biden into actually
3: Putin would love election chaos.
4: How does that even get into any of this?
3: It's uh, I've actually noticed noticed this a little bit from Jen Rubin lately. She so she hasn't gotten as many RTs from old Ron Klain mm-hmm. recently. You know, we we played Klain to fame the other day. Well, they day.
2: said in, in Politico on background she was no longer credible for <laughs> right. the White right.
3: House, right. but she's sort of. This is sort of a consistent theme, and it relates to our earlier segment on Raphael Warnock and this whole pivot away from BBB to voting rights. This is whole. This is Jen. Ru- Jen Rubin is in charge of Democratic strategy right now, <laughs> <laughs> which it's, that's, it's nutty. Which is the craziest part is like their way of paper macheing over Joe Biden's foreign policy failures is to say that's all fine and hand wave it away. The the real tyranny is happening here at yeah, home. Yeah, the real with tyranny the is Republicans. not like the
4: disaster in Afghanistan. Actually,
3: it's sort of a, a a brilliant pirouette out of the quagmire that they're in, and for that reason, Smug wins
2: round two. I can't argue it. It was brilliant.
4: And so I'm I'm for the for the knockout punch. I'm going for the gold on this one. This was at eleven fifteen on December fifteenth. Uh, Jen Rubin says. Minority rule reflecting an outdated set of values is reflected in the right wing justices on the Supreme Court, appointed by presidents lacking a popular vote majority oh, yeah. and confirmed by the disproportionate power of red state senators. Disproportionate <laughs> power. And and, and, and uh Wait, is this,
3: give me a little maze again. <laughs> <laughs> Wherever she is. Where is Maisie <laughs> on, she on the is. board. The filibuster
2: it's broken. There it is. Maisie. Guess what? You broke it. <laughs> You're and, the one that broke it. I mean, this
4: has it all. The claim that like, you know, Republican senators are illegitimate. You know, states shouldn't have right. two senators. I mean, that's, you know, a complete problem. Second, it's a straight up attack on the Supreme court and the need to have to pack the courts. Um, and then the beauty of it is the article itself that she links to is the trend against religious affiliation is a grave threat to the GOP. Saying that number one, the problem here is that Christianity, she says Christianity and evangelicals are the central problem, right. and that to stop their like attempts to pack the court, we have to pack the court. Yeah, she's blaming the evangelicals for packing the yeah, court. Yeah, we've uh,
2: that that is a, that is a hobby horse of, of the left. No question. I have
3: a lot to say about that. I'm going to withhold my comment until Holmes gives his take.
2: Okay, I've got a bunch of different ones to choose from, but I think I've got one that I... So, <laughs> there's a real misuse of the internet that starts with he, he's tweeting out an article from a unrecognizable outfit okay. called persuasion.community. What? Yeah. Never heard of, <laughs> never heard of this before, right? <laughs> Uh, some dude just writes something and he pulls out this line and puts it on top. There's ample evidence that Trump colluded with Russia. Here's how he convinced people otherwise. Oh my God. <laughs> Man, the
3: soundboard is working overtime today. So, how does an article like that get to maximum boot? Yeah, you, know, you think you think you just got open DMs and somebody's like, "Hey, here's something."
2: Well, they all run in the same circles. It looks to me like the guy who wrote the thing is like a, a like a former 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 Atlantic writer, right? Right. Who's got you know? I mean, I guess is this the,
3: like a Substack
2: thing or something? Or it's persuasion. Dot community, and then like hashtag eight gazillion different uh, things. Yeah. You know right. what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, it's like right, a right. Unrecognizable. So long URL. Oh, the URL is like seventeen thousand letters long. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Immediate misuse of the internet. I mean,
4: let's be serious. That can't come close to the like lasagna of brainworm we got on our know. hands here. That Christians, evangelical Christians, pack the court, and Republican senators have, uh, you know, the, the way too much power. Somehow, we got to get rid of two senators. The Senate, in essence, is is, is bad. Because it allows states to have two Republican senators. so
3: And then you have to pack the Supreme Court. So that, that URL thing, Holmes, that you mentioned reminded me of this meme I saw recently, which is like a, a child's letter to Santa. <laughs> and the, it's written in crayon. And the kid's like, hey, Santa, what I would like for Christmas, you know, semicolon, is uh, he has a URL. And it's like <laughs> www.amazon.com backslash QR underscore three, four. And it's like, Four hundred characters long, all in cray. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> you just is imagine being that easy. parent and <laughs> looking at that and being like, "All right, uh, uh, it's going to take me two hours to type this in." That's just an aside to to Smug's point.
4: And and the last thing I also think I should mention is in that same tweet when she says and confirmed, you know, by by presidents lacking a popular vote majority, Ruth Bader Ginsburg was. Uh, Nominated and confirmed by Bill Clinton. Right. Or nominated, she was confirmed by the Senate, but nominated by Bill Clinton, who in 92 did not get uh, a majority
3: of the vote. Well, and also, and and Holmes, we talked about this like earlier today. And that is, you know, what the left in the media has done really well these last few years is sort of create this drumbeat of an undemocratic Senate, like a Senate that doesn't reflect America or, you know, it's this minority rule chamber or whatever It's a racist institution. The filibuster is white supremacy. The United States Senate, (laughs) when Barack Obama, the first black president of the United States, was elected. Fifty nine Democrat seats. Yeah. A 60th once Arlen Specter made the move. 60. They had 60. That was undemocratic at that point. Right. Right. Then it was fine. You know, more than 10 years ago. Then then it wasn't racist. Now it's suddenly racist. Do you think how... Like crazy that is. That, it is. It's that's just sort of insane. been ex- accepted, and the media pushes it. Well, it's right. just blind insanity. I mean, it's it's so dumb. It's so it's just a dumb take. Well, and so look, I think maximum boots take there is obviously bad. It's just it's come com- on. It's common. It's too common. It's too common. The take that it's Jen been Rubin. Debunked. But the but the 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 take that Jen Rubin has is. Absolute brain worms.
2: Oh, For
3: that reason, our victor is smug. I Let's go. I feel like
2: I'm playing under protest with that one. <laughs> <laughs> Ample evidence that he colluded with you're gonna be. You're
3: going to be sanctioned by this court.
2: Ample evidence that he colluded with Russia. It'd be different. Like what she's talking about is rhetorical. This We're going to have, have to get the bailiff.
3: Facts. Bailiff. 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 You're not going to haul me
2: out of here. <laughs> I hold you. A you're not going to hold me.
3: I'm in contempt.
2: I hold this whole court in contempt. You're all in contempt. <laughs> you bastards. Boot got jacked. Okay. Well. I think
4: I think that takes Ruben to now a winning record. I think he finally overcame the
2: deficit. So. Wow. Oh, I see what's going on here. Wait, is this the collusion? Oh, I see what's going no, on I here. Just,
4: hey, look. I look at the metrics. You know, money ball. I, I, I've started applying the whole money
2: ball to this. You got to play to win. Shout out to T-Rex. Yeah, not, that's this right. This is an outrage. Okay. All right. Well, I'll accept the results. Fellas, banger of an episode. Absolutely.
4: Uh, you know, thank you so much, Scott Jennings, letting us know what's going on on the ground in there. Uh, in Kentucky, we, we, we got to uh, hear causes that are worth donating to, and I encourage everybody, you know, uh, try and help out because it is unbelievable, the devastation that's going on there. So, uh, like, like you said, Holmes, banger of an episode. Outstanding work, gents. So, until next time, minions, keep the faith hold the line and own the libs. We'll see you on Tuesday. Stay ruthless.
0: UTIs are the worst. I've been there. One year I had eight UTIs. If you get UTIs, then you understand how awful the cycle can be. I was taking all the precautions and cranberry products. They just never worked for me. I was desperate for a way to be proactive. It was hard on me, and on my husband.
3: It was tough to see her in pain, and I wanted to help. I'm Jenna. And I'm Spencer.
0: With Spencer's background in biochemistry,
3: and our shared frustration when it came to UTIs, we were inspired to start Eucora.
0: At Eucora, we make innovative urinary tract supplements and UTI relief products. Our effective urinary tract supplements finally give you a way to be proactive.
3: Feel like you've tried everything? We get it. We have a money-back guarantee, so you can try risk-free. If you're not happy, you'll get a full refund.
0: We're on a mission to help women get their lives back. Ready to join them? Go to Ucora.com today. Ucora.com. At Granger,
2: we're for the ones who specialize in saving the day and for the ones who've mastered the art of keeping business moving. We offer industrial-grade supplies for every industry with same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders, all backed by real people ready to help. So, you can get the right answers and products right when you need them. Call ClickGranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.